We're in week three of the series called Grace of Giving, and this morning we're in the uh, the 12th chapter of Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 12, we'll begin reading in a few minutes in verse 41. Mark chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 41. Alfred Nobel, you know that name, was a Swedish chemist. He made his fortune by literally inventing dynamite um, and other powerful explosive materials. And those materials, of course, were purchased by governments around the world and eventually used to make weapons of destruction. When Alfred Nobel's brother died, one newspaper mistakenly printed Alfred's obituary instead of his brother. And in it, Alfred Nobel was described as a man who became rich by enabling other people to kill each other in unprecedented numbers. Somebody sent a copy of that uh, obituary to Alfred Nobel, and he was so shaken by the assessment of his life that he decided that from that point on, he would use the fortune that he had amassed to reward accomplishments that benefited humanity rather than destroy it. And so out of that came what you and I now know as the Nobel Peace Prize. He had a very rare opportunity, it seems to me. He was given the chance to see an evaluation of his life while he was still alive, and then he was given the opportunity to change things that needed to be changed. I sometimes wonder what would happen in my own life, what would happen to you if each one of us had that same kind of opportunity. If we had the opportunity to see an independent evaluation of our life while we're still alive, to see what people say about us and what would we change in that process, Uh, what kind of epitaph would be written on our tombstones if it was written based on our life today. And if we were given a chance to change things, if you were given a chance to rewrite your obituary, uh, how effective would you be at making changes? You remember that little song we used to sing in Sunday school when I was a little boy at least? Oh, be careful little hands what you do. Oh, be careful little hands what you do. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful little hands what you do. Bible's very clear, it seems, that God is always watching. He's watching us carefully to see how we live. And that is a truth from which you and I cannot escape. No matter where I go, no matter what I do, my heavenly Father is watching over me, understanding my needs, caring for me. But there's another side of God always watching me, I believe. God not only is watching over my life for my protection, but God is watching over my life in order that he might evaluate how I live. It's interesting to me, the very last public act of Jesus Christ's ministry was not a sermon, it was not a miracle, it was an evaluation. He visited Herod's temple, He sat down by the treasury, and he watched what people gave to God. The very last act of Jesus' 
public ministry was spending the day looking at the offering. Let's stand in honor and reverence of the reading of God's inspired, infallible, inerrant word. And you know this story very well. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 41. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Father, as we examine this story this morning, there's much to learn about how you evaluate things. It's often very different than the way we evaluate it. So I pray right now that you would open our hearts and minds, that your spirit may speak to us through your word, and that we may make relevant application of those principles in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. There were 13 what we would call treasuries in the courtyard of the temple. Each of them had a letter on them. And that represented sort of like designated offerings. So you had 13 of these treasuries in the courtyard. Each had a letter on it. And the letter represented what that offering went to. Each one of those treasuries was shaped like a tall box. And at the top of it, it had something that looked like a trumpet that came out of the top. And when a person would put money into that, it was possible to make the coins roll around in that trumpet and be heard all over the temple. Uh, some people brought all their tithe in copper coins so they could throw it in there and make a big noise, filling up the courtyard with the sound of their gifts. They gave so they could be noticed. So Jesus sat and watched these people. They're walking by, they're putting in their coins into the boxes. And I want you and me to put ourselves into that story this morning because Jesus saw something that day that nobody else saw, even though everybody saw the same thing he saw. But when you begin to see things in your life, the way Jesus sees things, you will begin to see things that nobody else sees and you will see it in ways that nobody else even thinks about. It's amazing to me that this story even makes it into the Bible. I've always wondered, why would you put a story like this in the Bible? Because this woman does something so ordinary, so small, so unimportant, so inconsequential that nobody would even have given a second thought to it except Jesus. In fact, only one person left that day talking about it. But because Jesus talked about it, we're still talking about it 2,000 years later. I want you to see yourself in this story because what was true about this woman is also true about you and me. It's true about what we have. It's true about what we think we have. And it's true about what we do with what we have. So let's look at a couple of things out of this text. First thing that I want you to see is that Jesus anticipates 
when we give. Jesus must have been really bored this day. Um, he had nothing else to do. Because why in the world, I mean, you know it's a slow day when the most exciting thing you can find to do is go to the temple just to watch people put offering in a basket. I realize that what you do with your money is your business. I've been told that. But Jesus made it his business. Jesus made it his business to know. And he did not apologize for watching these givers very closely. The Bible indicates that Jesus deliberately went over and sat next to the treasuries. Verse 41, Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. When, that, when the Bible says that Jesus saw how they put their money into the, that means he was close enough to these boxes. He was close enough that he could see who threw in a lot. He could see who threw in a little. It's interesting to me. Because whenever Jesus was teaching... Whenever Jesus is performing miracles in the gospel, normally everybody wanted a front row seat. I've often wondered how Jesus would have fared in an average Baptist church uh, because when Jesus did what he did, most people were clamoring for the front seats, not the back seats. But in this case, this is the only time that we are ever told that Jesus sought out the front seat. He goes to the very front so he can watch what everybody's doing. He's studying what they're giving. This morning, you would think I was rude if I took one of these chairs and I pulled it up right beside the offering box back there and I just sat there and watched you put in your offering. You'd be offended. Some of you would probably call a deacon and say, listen here, that preacher's sticking his nose into places that it ain't got no business. Y'all need to take care of it. Well, here's a news flash for you. Jesus is still watching the offering. He's still watching. And he watches what we give, he watches when we give, and he watches what we don't give. The text says that the rich threw in large amounts according to verse 41. They didn't have to guess. The people who are out there, you didn't have to guess that rich people were given a lot because you could hear it and you could see it. In fact, when they would come in and they'd bring all these copper coins and they'd throw them into that, into that box and, and that trumpet the way it was built and all that noise was made, they actually called it sounding the trumpet. So if you came in and you threw in your money and people all around would hear it, uh, I'd say, hey, Ron, uh, Josh just came in. He's sounding the trumpet this morning. Now, boy, that's a good thing because we hear all them coins rolling around, all that noise being made. The great philosopher Yogi Berra was exactly right when he said, you can observe a lot just by watching. You can observe a lot just by watching. Jesus was very observant. He was anticipating what people were giving. He knew exactly how much everybody was putting in. He was well aware that rich people were putting in these large sums of money. Now, I want you to understand this. Jesus is not condemning rich people. 
in this story. He's not condemning rich people for giving a lot of money. The Bible says he loves a cheerful giver, whether you've got a lot or you've got a little. He loves it whether you're rich or whether you're poor. There are a lot of rich people who give with a good heart and a good motive. Some of the greatest philanthropy, uh, charitable work that's being done today in the world is done by people who have a lot of money. It's a good thing. But the point is the Lord sits there anticipating what people are giving. He's marking down, whether he does it literally in a, in a little notebook he watches to see who gave and who did, or in his mind. He's marking it down, what we give. And he knows when we give and he knows when we don't give. But don't get caught up in that because that's not the point of the story. That's not what's happening here. Here's the point. Jesus not only anticipates what we give, he calculates what we give. Jesus calculates this story would never have made it into the Bible. We would not have even known about it. We wouldn't even be, be, we wouldn't even be talking about it if it had stopped at verse 41. If all we had all the information was Jesus sat opposite the treasury, saw how the people put money in the treasury, many who were rich put in much. If that was the end, we wouldn't even be talking about this. But it's not the end. It's the next thing that catches Jesus' eye. Look at verse 42. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. The Greek words used here to describe this widow as being a pauper, somebody who had to eke out a living every day. God knew all about that widow. He knows all about you and me too. He knows the circumstances from which we give. And Jesus saw something that morning that nobody else saw. He saw her put in two small copper coins called mites. Nelson, show them what a mite is. There it is. There are the two coins. These two coins I happen to own, uh, and they are dated about the end of the first century, beginning of the second century. So they, came, they come from the 100 to 200 uh, period of time. But this is what we, we commonly call a widow's might. These coins were the smallest coins of denomination. They were the least valuable. Um, a day's pay in that time was about 15 cent. These two coins, when you put them together, are equivalent to one one-hundredth of 15 cent. Nothing. They're worth nothing. In fact, it was less, one of those is less than one-tenth of one cent. That's what their value is. So nobody, when this woman comes in with those two coins and throws them into the treasury, nobody gave her a second thought except Jesus. And he gives her a second look. He's so impressed by what he gave, by what she gave, that he calls the disciples over and uh, what he says next made the disciples question whether or not Jesus was even able to pass math in grade school. Look at what he says in verse 43. So he called his disciples to himself and he said, 
Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Math was not my subject at school. But even I know that one-tenth of a penny is not more than what all those rich people were putting in the treasury. And yet Jesus said, she has put in more than anybody else who was here today. So what's the lesson? Here it is. Write it down. Here it is. The most generous givers do not necessarily always give the largest gifts. The most generous givers do not always give the largest. Generosity is not always measured by what you give. There is a vast difference between giving the greatest amount and being the most generous giver. You see what I'm, you see what I'm saying? There's a big difference between being number one in the giving list. I gave the most money to the church this year, but even in doing that, you may not be the most generous giver. You may have given the most money. You say, well, wait a minute. If I gave the most, that means I'm the most generous. No, it doesn't at all. You see, too many people today try to hide behind having a lot. And here's what we know. The larger the salary grows, the more money that you and I get, the less percentage we end up giving back to God. The people who give closest either tithe or above the tithe tend to be the more poor people. The richer you are, the more you keep for yourself. And you may give a large dollar amount, but it's nowhere close to the tithe of what you made. You see, you do not get a pass if you're poor. You don't get a pass if you're rich. You don't get a pass if you don't have nearly as much money as the next guy has. And what this poor widow teaches us is that you don't have to be rich in order to be generous. You don't have to have a lot to give. You don't have to have a lot in order to give a lot. Jesus does not measure what people give the way we measure what people give. He doesn't look at the portion. He looks at the proportion. He doesn't look at how much you put in the plate. He looks at how much you have left in your pocket. When we, we, when, we vow, when we look at things like that, we look at what people put in. Jesus looks at what is left over. So Jesus calculates what we give. He's not looking at the amount as much as he's looking at the proportion. You may give $15,000 a year to this church, but if that only represents 2 or 3% of what you actually have been entrusted with by the Lord, that's nothing because you're not even giving him what he demands. He demands the tithe. Now, on the other hand, there are some people I've known through the years who calculate the tithe right down to one-tenth of a penny. They're just, boy, they, they calculate, I made this much and I'm going to give this much. Uh, it's going to be $10.29. 
Why don't you just make it $10.30? Because that's, that's not the tithe. The tithe is exactly, and I'm not giving one penny more than what I owe. Well, keep it. Because the motivation with which you're giving is not worth two cents. See, you're only doing it then because you feel like you're obligated. And Jesus looks not at what you give. He looks at what you have left. And so he evaluates what we give. This poor widow becomes the hero of the story, and she didn't even know she was writing a story. (laughs) And Jesus sums up why he's so enamored with this. After watching what he has seen and seeing all the great gifts that were brought in that day, and then this little woman comes in with these two little coins and drops them in, makes her way out. Look at what he says. I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury because they put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had, her whole livelihood. Once again, we're reminded just how poor she was. Jesus calls her poor, and then he describes her as a person of poverty. He says, this poor woman has given out of her poverty. Two different Greek words to describe that, uh, the poor and the poverty. The first word that uh, is used describes somebody as being poor. That's somebody who is totally destitute. This is a beggar. This is somebody who does not have anything at all. This woman may very well have been homeless. The second word for poverty, so now he says she's poor, and yet she gives out of her poverty. That basically means, that word means having nothing. When you read that carefully, what you discover then is this woman gave more than just money. Jesus said she put in everything she had. She put in her whole livelihood. And the construction of that statement that Jesus makes means that Jesus is saying to his disciples, this woman gave all her life. She gave everything she had. You see, this lady was not just giving her money, and that's all the money she had. She was giving herself. She didn't give just all she had. She gave all she was. Easy for her to give all she had because she had completely surrendered her life to God. You see, when you give your life to God, you understand the whole thing belongs to him to begin with, and so it doesn't bother you whether you give, uh, if you give everything you've got because it all belongs to him to begin with. You and I have nothing. We deserve nothing. You know, no, I worked for this. I worked hard for this, and this is mine, and I'm going to do with it what I want to, and I'll determine. No, it doesn't. Listen, who gave you the ability to do what you do? Who gave you the breath to breathe to even earn what you've earned? This woman gave all her money because she had already given Jesus all her heart. And what really impressed Jesus is not what she gave, it's why she gave. It wasn't the amount that he's impressed with. It was the attitude that impressed him. 
Remember, she wasn't, she wasn't going to get a tax deduction for this. I need my giving statements. Time for me to do my taxes. I need to get my money back. Let me go on and tell you this so you can prepare yourselves. Within the next 15 to 20 years, maybe a little longer, but within the next 15 to 20 years, my prediction is that churches will begin to lose their tax-exempt status. The government's going to take that away. And so, uh, if you already know that we don't get the same deduction even today that we used to get for charitable giving. There's going to come a time, probably in your, some of our lifetimes, when we get no deduction for charitable giving. Do you give to God because you get a tax break at the end of the year? Or do you give to God because you've given God your life? You see, when you no longer get the tax deduction, it'll become real evident real quick why you give what you give. This woman wasn't going to get a tax deduction. She didn't give out of show. She didn't come in trying to sound the trumpet. Them two little coins would never sound anything. Nobody would ever have heard that she even came in and gave anything. And not only did she not know that anybody was looking, she probably would have been embarrassed if she had known anybody was looking. The wealthy gave out of their surplus. This widow gave out of her life. The gifts given by the wealthy did not touch their lives. They didn't miss it. They didn't sacrifice. Most of us in our giving do not sacrifice anything. We still are able to go buy whatever it is we want to go buy. We just go get it. If you want something, you'll go out this afternoon, tomorrow, whatever. You'll just go get it. When was the last time you sacrificially gave until it caused you to have to miss out on something else that you thought you wanted? This woman gave everything she had. They gave out of their surplus. She gave out of her life. This widow's gift touched the very core of who she was. And so God does not evaluate us on what we give. He evaluates our giving by what we have. And get that. He does not evaluate us on, on what, what we give. He evaluates us on what do you have to give. In other words, it's not so much what you put in the plates, what you got left in your pocket. That's what God's looking at. Let me close with this. We're talking today about a woman whose name we don't even know. We don't know how she lived. We don't know how she died. And yet 2,000 years later, we're still talking about her because of her generosity. You're not going to be remembered by how much you made. You're not going to be remembered by how much you spent. You're not going to be remembered by how much you saved. You're going to be remembered by how much you gave. This woman never knew that Jesus even saw what she gave. 
She didn't even know it. She never heard. She didn't hear Jesus say, hey guys, come over here, I gotta tell you something. I've just seen the greatest thing that has happened in this whole place today. This little woman just came in here and she put in two mites and it's more than everybody else has put in. And they probably looked at Jesus and said, have you been sitting in the sun too long? You need a drink of water. Well, she gave out of who she is. They gave out of what they had. But I guarantee you one thing. I guarantee you the moment this little woman walked into heaven, first thing Jesus said to her was, I saw what you did. I saw what you did that day. I saw when you walked in there with everybody else throwing in all kinds of money and doing all kinds of things, and you took everything that you had and you put it in the treasure. You gave to God yourself. I saw it. And I imagine that the angels, every angel in heaven, probably rushed up to her when she walked into heaven and said, oh, so you're the little poor widow we've heard about. You're the one that Jesus talked about who gave all she had. So my question is, why is it that you and I ought to be generous givers? Why should we be generous? Not amount. Why should we look at what we have and be generous with what God's given to us? Beginning with the tithe. I'll tell you why. Because we serve a generous God. That's why. Yes, we have to keep the lights on. Yes, we have to do all kinds of things to, I'm not even going to use the term uh, because I hear it used way too much, but the things that go on here and the things that we do, uh, this is, I will say this, this is not a business. This is a ministry. We don't run things, we ought not to run things around here the way they run a business in the world. We ought to run things around here according to faith based on how God has blessed us because we serve a generous God. Everything you and I have has come from the generosity and the grace of God. Everything. He was so generous, our God, that he sent his only son to die on a cross so that you and I could have the most expensive gift you'd ever receive, eternal life. You and I have only one life to live. And you're going to live it in one of two ways. You're going to live it as a generous person or you're going to live it as a greedy person. That's it. You'll either be generous or you'll be greedy. I'm very generous. I give, I give X number of dollars. Well, thank you. First, thank you. Second, how much you got left? Look at what you have compared to what you give and then tell me you're generous. Then tell me you're giving sacrificially. What did you have to do without in order to give to the work of God. What did you have to sacrifice? This woman had two cent to her name, and it doesn't even equal two cent, but there they are. She had two cent to her name. And she didn't say, well, 
If I do that, I won't be able to stop at Starbucks tomorrow. Give it up for a week. It's not fit to drink to start with. Give it up. Take what you spend on those kind of things and give it to the kingdom of God. And see which one has a better outcome. We serve a generous God. We ought to be generous people. The widow at the temple saw past the treasure box. She saw past the poverty of her own life. And she peered into eternity. She understood that the things that are worth living for are not in this world. You see, the wealthy live for this world. The widow live for the next Every one of us are either moving toward the treasure or we're away from it. And if we spend our life in pursuit of wealth, we waste it. We waste our lives racing away from the true treasure of heaven. Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures here on this earth. But lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy We're, we're, we're putting together all this stuff, stuff, stuff. And I told you last week, we spend more time accumulating stuff, trying to impress people we don't even know or like. So we can say, we got all this stuff. We do this and we do this and we do this. When we should be laying up treasures for ourselves in heaven. What difference are we making in the community in which we live to tell people about Jesus Christ? In what way are we helping to send people all over the world so that people can know Jesus Christ? Because in the end, I listen, I did another funeral Friday. And once more, as has happened every single time, they didn't take a thing with them. Didn't take anything with them. When you die, we're not going to box up your stuff and put it in a U-Haul trailer and pull it behind the hearse so we can go to the graveyard out here and dig a hole enough, big enough for you to put it in there with you so you can take it when you go. Doesn't happen that way. You see, we don't live for here. We live for eternity. You weren't created just for here. You were created to be here for a little while, just a little while. You're created to be with God for all eternity. The person whose treasures are locked away in eternity have every reason to rejoice. Things may get hard. Things may not be easy. But when, like this widow, you learn to trust the faithfulness of God, you will finally understand that even if I give him the last two cent I have, he's still faithful. He will still take care of me every single time.